Let's go to 1 Peter chapter number 2, and we'll begin our reading at verse number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 2, and begin our reading at verse number 1. On last week, we began to talk about growing into emotional maturity. Growing into emotional maturity. Everybody say, growing into emotional maturity. Hallelujah. Growing into emotional maturity. Now, First Peter, uh, chapter number two. Excuse me, I'm sorry. First Peter, chapter yep, chapter number two, verse number one. Uh, we'll begin to share a little bit from there. The text says this. Um, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Look at the next verse. It says what? Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk. So that you will grow into a full experience of salvation, cry out for this nourishment. Cry out for this nourishment. Verse number three, if you read that with me, it says, now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Now we're going to go to Matthew uh, chapter number 22. Uh, chapter number 22, we look at verse number 37. Matthew 22. And verse number 37, because guys, if we're going to grow into emotional maturity, if 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 our spiritual growth and our effectiveness as a, as a Christian is tied to whether or not we're emotionally healthy or not, uh, then we need to figure out how to get there. Because what we discovered and I shared with you on last week that that a lot of Christians are committed in their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And in many ways, are practicing spiritual discipline, praying, coming to Bible study, uh, singing in the choir, serving, going on missions. However, the problem, we said, is that our commitment to Jesus typically has not included relating to people in an emotionally mature way. And so as a result, a lot of the stuff that we learn doctrinally, uh, biblically, uh, 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 theologized, I know I made that a word up, it's not a word, but all the stuff that we learn it's not being applied in our individual lives because of a lack of emotional maturity. And that's why we can have people who, who can quote you John 3.16, can quote Bible verses, can tell you how to get saved, can do all these things. But then when it comes to relating with people, our, our interhuman relationships are not where they need to be. Amen? And I shared with you before, your vertical relationship with God cannot be right if your horizontal relationship with people is off course. So let's learn how to, to grow and become emotionally mature believers who can carry the gospel message to the places that need to be carried to. So we're going to look at Matthew 22. And on last week we left off, we were talking about the spiritual discipline of practicing the presence of people. Because what we discovered is in Jesus's day, the religious leaders didn't interface or didn't intermingle with common folks. The religious leaders were so prideful uh, and, and so full of themselves. Can I put it that way? Do y'all know anybody who's full of themselves? They were so full of themselves that they wouldn't take the time to interface with people who were not, quote, in the religious hierarchy. And what we discovered is Jesus was radically different from that because these same religious leaders who, who were supposed to know God and, and have a personal relationship with God would not take the time to interface and mingle with people who were not, quote, at their level. 
But Jesus, they accuse of being a wine bibber. They, 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 they accuse the master of hanging out with sinners, guys. And I'm going to tell you something. If you as a born again believer are growing in your faith and you're connecting with unbelievers with the purpose of building a relationship so you can sow uh, gospel truths in their lives, then keep connecting with them. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. Just make sure you ain't doing the same thing they're doing while you're connecting with them. Can I get a witness? And so Jesus received criticism and flack from these religious leaders because he spent time uh, uh, with people who who uh, they thought uh, were, were beneath them. So we begin our reading in the 37th verse of that 22nd chapter. The text says, Jesus replied from the NLT, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. Now again, the question that come from when the Pharisees uh, 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 had heard that Jesus had, go back to verse number 34 says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, with his reply, they met together to question him again. They were always looking for some way to trap the master, to trap the savior. And the text says, uh, you must love the Lord. Your, but, um, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So we discovered, Jesus says that you want to wrap all this up, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how many of y'all are willing to admit that it is impossible to love someone uh, else the same way you love yourself without God's spirit helping you to do that. I mean, I, well, okay, you may say, well, my loved one, my family, my wife, my children, the pastor I do, uh, but let, let's go because we, we're talking about more than just your immediate family. He says, love your neighbor as yourself and then Jesus gave the parable about who the neighbor was because they wanted to know who the neighbor is. He gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. So guys, what he's saying is that if we're going to be uh, in tune with God and moving in his command and doing the things he's instructed us to do to advance kingdom agenda and kingdom principles, we have to learn how to relate to people. Can I get a witness? We got to get better at relating to people. So we, we begin to talk about that fact that practicing the presence of people requires that we experience connection with God, with ourselves and with other people. I don't know about you, but I can sometimes be okay being by myself. All right, don't y'all look at me like that. I said sometimes I can be okay just being by myself. Let me, say, let me walk to this side and say it. I said sometimes I can be okay just being by myself. All right? But how many of you know... I can't stay in that mode because if God is going to utilize me, he's going to utilize you to connect with people and to help people get to where they need to be, then we can't just be alone. We got to learn how to, to break that shell and learn how to interface and build relationship, God honor relationship with people who, who are, who, who need to know the Savior, people who need to be encouraged in their spiritual walk. So, uh, so we realize that if we're going to uh, be mostly mature Christians, uh, if we're going to love well, if we're going to walk in true spirituality, we got to connect with God, 
We got to connect with ourselves and we have to connect with other people. The religious leaders of Jesus, they never made the connection with people. They never delighted in people. And guys, I'm telling you, here's where we got to get to in our walk with Jesus Christ, because what God is going to do with the church today, he wants to show he wants the church to show the world how to love right. He wants to show the world through the church how to bring unity to a society. And if he's going to use the church to show the world how to bring unity to society, the church has a whole lot of work to do, which y'all agree. And so we got to get to where we need to be. So they, the, the, the Pharisees, they didn't link loving God with the need to be diligent, zealous, and absolutely committed to growing in their ability to love people. Now go back to Romans 12, chapter verse 9 through 13. We, we talked about the power of hospitality on last week because if we're going to connect with people, we got to understand it's important for us to, 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 to be hospitable. Hospitable. Uh, we said hospitality is that act of welcoming others into our homes where they can be loved, accepted, fed, served, and ministered to. Minister to Romans the ninth, Romans the twelfth chapter, verse number nine through thirteen. Let's go back there right quick because the ministry of hospitality is something that we all need to embrace and have as a part of our walk with the Lord. When was the last time you had somebody over to your house? I know pandemic, we've been sort of uh, 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 reluctant to do that right now, but I'm, I'm talking about pre-pandemic. And even you know, you know, uh, during this time period, I know I'm sure you connected with some people, but guys. What, what I'm after is, 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 is for us as the born again body of believers to realize the importance of showing hospitality if we're going to represent God in the world. Look at what the text says. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Next verse, let's read. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Next verse. Come on, let's go. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. 12 and 13. Rejoice in our confident hope. Uh, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. This is Paul writing to the church at Rome. He says, when God's people are in need, be ready to do what? Let's say it again. Say, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice what? Hospitality. We got to be eager to practice hospitality. I want to, if you will, go with me to Acts the 18th chapter. We're going to look at uh, what I'm going to call a powerhouse couple by the name of Priscilla and Aquila. You that have studied your Bible for a period of time have heard about uh, Priscilla and Aquila in the book of Acts 18 chapter verse number one. Uh, They were a powerful team uh, in showing hospitality and helping serve uh, and helping the apostles get the work of ministry done. And guys, we need people like Priscilla and Aquila in the church today. We need people who are willing to open up their home and say, I'm going to, I'm going to host a small group. I'm going to mentor this couple. I'm going to, I'm going to share with this person who just got saved and I'm going to walk with them in this discipleship journey. Too many of us are standoffish. Let me say it again. Too many of us in the church are disconnected and standoffish. Y'all know what standoffish mean? I may speak to you, but that's about, about far as our conversation is going to go. And God says, I need you to engage. I need you, I need you to push in a little bit closer 
so that I can use you to minister to them and I can use them to minister to you. Because all of us have gifts that we all can glean from and utilize. Can I get a witness? Are y'all with me today? Look at Acts the 18th chapter and start our reading at verse number one. Acts chapter 18, verse number one. The Bible says this, then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. The text says, there he, be, he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Verse number three, Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Go to verse number 18 with him right quick. They were a powerful team. Text says Paul, Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that, then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to nearby Sincrea. There he shaved his head according to Jewish custom, make, marking the end of a vow. Then he set sail for Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila what? With him. Here's that powerhouse couple going, who hosted Paul in the home. They were tent makers and I'm sure Paul, while he was there, you remember Paul worked and he supported himself in the work of ministry through his craft and the skill set that he had making tents. So Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers also, but now Paul takes them on, on journey, on mission with him. Go down with me, if you will, to verse 24 through 26. Watch this. 24 says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. Text says this, he had been taught the way of the Lord and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit. Man, isn't it great when somebody teaches you about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit? Isn't it great when somebody can testify what the Lord has done in their life rather than going around saying, well, you know, do you want to know Jesus? You want to come to church with me? They read Madness, he preached kind of long, so I'm going to warn you before you get there. But why don't you come to church? Who want to go to church with you? If you're not excited about your own ministry, I mean, who wants to come with you? See, guys, listen, the Bible says it. He had been taught the way of the Lord and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. See, John was John the Baptist came preaching the baptism of repentance. But we got he, he needs some further information. Everybody say he needs some more. He need to know some more stuff. Say so he need to know some more stuff. Watch this. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Okay? So even more accurate. So they knew that there was something that he was missing, and so they shared with them Priscilla and Aquila, this powerhouse couple. Four things I want you to point out about them in that acronym team. First of all, Priscilla and Quilla, they were well-versed in God's truth. They were well-versed in God's truth. And as a result, they were able to help teach younger believers the ways of God. My question to you today is how well do you know the scriptures? Because it's going to be critically important if we're going to build a relationship with younger believers, if we're going to build relationships with, with those who, who need to know Christ as Lord and Savior, then one of the things we got to do is we got to get into the book and read. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be a theologian with a doctor, doctoral degree. As a matter of fact, guys, I, I, I can appreciate education. And I tell you to get all you can. But do you not realize that the apostles that Jesus called to follow him 
were not considered highly educated men from the standpoint that even the religious leaders of that day, they were amazed that these guys had all the wisdom that they had because they knew that they had not been engaged in, in all of the great seminaries of that day. Now, I'm not knocking seminary, but I'm saying you can go to seminary and still miss Jesus. Can I get a witness? And so, so, but God can take somebody. He takes the foolish thing to this world to do what? To confound the wise. Why does he do that? So that no flesh can glory in his presence. So Jesus called guys who were not considered to be of the religious hierarchy. And he called those men to go on mission with him. So I don't care who you are, where you've been, what your background is. You are a candidate for God to use to transform this world. He can take something that seems to be insignificant or nothing and use it to transform men's lives. Can I get away? So Priscilla and Aquila, they were well versed in God's truth. If we're going to be people who are able to pour into others, we got to spend some time studying the word of God. We got to connect with small group study. We got to, we got to be involved in systematic study of God's word. The second thing we deserve about them is they kept an eye on eternity. What do you mean by pastor? Well, they were more concerned about the spiritual and eternal needs of others than they were about material and temporal things like career, like houses, like possessions, etc. My question to you today is, are you more concerned with laying up treasures on earth or investing in eternity? You know, there, uh, if you're not careful, you got to watch this because many times Christians will only come to God for what they can get from God. And in particular, talking about material needs, physical needs. Now, we all need stuff to live in this world, right? We need a roof over our head. We need clothes on our back. We need to be able to eat. Can I get a witness? Some of us eat a little bit too much, right? And I know some of y'all because I just, I just know you've been here for a long time. When we declared a progressive Daniel fast and we said the first week uh, you, can't, you can't eat sweets, some of y'all went into highs. Can't get my, my sugar rush. Can't have my cake and my pies for a week. Oh, no, not a week, 21 days, pastor. What, what are you doing to me? Because sometimes we are so focused on the physical, we forget about the, the spiritual. I want to ask you a question. How many of you, when you heard about the fast, start going and eating some of your good stuff that you want? How many of y'all say, oh, 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 oh. I got to go get me some, some peach coffee. We ate some peach coffee, y'all. All right, all right. But guys, listen, I, we, we shouldn't just pursue God for the material things in life. God, God is much bigger than that, and he wants to utilize us in a more uh, powerful and progressive way. So, so let's understand that, that, that we got to keep our eye on eternity. And so let's not be so concerned about laying up treasures on earth at the detriment of investing in what's eternal. God does not, listen to me carefully, I don't want this to go out the wrong way, God does not have a problem with you having things. He has a problem with things having you. Are you with me today? As a matter of fact, if you go through the scripture, you'll you'll see people like Job and Abraham, they were men of great wealth, and God will utilize them and their great wealth, wealth to minister to other people. So if I have more, I can bless with more. So God doesn't have a problem with us having things. He wants our perspective to be right. He don't want us to trust in uncertain riches. Are y'all with me today? 
So, so, so they, were, they, they, had, they kept an eye on eternity. The third thing about Priscilla and Aquila is they had an attitude of availability. They were available. An attitude of availability. They moved as needed as the Apostle Paul's request from Corinth to Ephesus to Rome, then back to Ephesus to do the work of God indicates. They, they were willing to move with him to do the work of ministry. Are you willing to go and do and be whatever God asks? I know we say it. Use me, Lord, in thy service. We say that. We sing. Some of y'all, some of you young people are like, what, what was he singing? But, uh, you know, a lot of times, guys, we'll sing about our availability. We'll sing about what we'll sacrifice for the Lord. But when it comes down to actually doing it, a lot of folks don't show up. See, God, God wants a person who's willing, who, who's available uh, to, to, to do what he asks. And do you make your possessions available for kingdom purposes? Look with me, if you will. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 16, verse number 19, right quick. Read that right quick. 1 Corinthians 16, verse number 19. Are the things that I have in my possession, are they available for God to use to do ministry? The Bible says this, the churches here in the province of Asia send greetings in the Lord, as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the others who gather in their home for church meetings. Now listen, are you willing to make what you have available for the master's use? We still look at this powerhouse couple, Priscilla and Aquila. The text says, the churches here in the province of Asia send greetings in the Lord, as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the others who gather in there. Who is there? Priscilla and Aquila's home for church meetings. So Priscilla and Aquila, not only were they ministering with Paul, but they allowed their home to be utilized to gather the saints together, guys. Because at this point in time, a lot of times the church met house to house. Uh, the, you know, coming out of Judaism where they, they, they gathered in the synagogue, the Jew, those who were who under Judaism gathered in the synagogue for their worship on the Sabbath. But now we go into the church age where now they are gathering in houses, meeting together. Are you willing to let your house be used for a gathering place? Are you willing to let your car be used to transport somebody who needs a ride to work? I've always said this here. If I'm going to work and we're going to the same place and I come by and pick you up and take you to work, why would I charge you to take you to work and I'm going to the same place you're going? Or if I'm not even going to the same place you're going, but the Lord has blessed me, I can put gas in my car, and and I, and and, and it's, it 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 works. It's not smoking. It's it's getting me to where I need to get to. Then I'm going to let God use me to help bless you until you can do better. And I ain't gonna charge you. Now, if I gotta take you to Ruston every morning, we may need to talk. <laughs> Guys, listen, be available for the Lord to use you and to use whatever you have to advance his kingdom agenda. So we see that they were they had an attitude of availability. How how available are you? How available are you only available at your convenience? I remember we used to uh, people used to have announcements and they would have programs and stuff that they they would say. Here's what they would say uh, when they were inviting you to an event. If you don't have anything else to do. Come back out for the mission program. Or come if you don't have anything else to do. Come serve with us uh, uh, in Cedar Grove on Saturday. No, Sac- ministry is about sacrifice. I can always find something else to do. 
Hello? But are you willing to sacrifice for the work of ministry? Some people only want, are only willing to go so far as long as it's convenient, as long as it doesn't stretch me, as long as you don't have me gone too much. And again, I understand balance in ministry. But again, we have to be willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. And if you're going to be a person of hospitality like Priscilla and Aquila, you have to be willing to sacrifice. They had people meeting in their homes. Now, I know some of y'all are a little meticulous about your house, aren't you? All right, come on, look, look, look at me. Come on, confession time. How many of y'all are a little, 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 little uh, OCD? Well, you know, that napping got to be in that right spot. You walk behind people when they come in the, in, in the house, sweeping behind them when they come in the house. That, that, that would be bad, wouldn't it? How many of y'all are willing, come on, to let God use what you have to advance kingdom principles? So we got to get to that point. If we're not there, we got to get there. So they were well versed in God's truth. They kept an eye on eternity. They had an attitude of availability. And, and, and lastly, they were radically committed to ministry. They were radically committed to ministry. They were touching lives everywhere they went when it was convenient and when it wasn't convenient, guys. Are you intertwined in the lives of people? Are you seeking to spur people on to a deeper relationship with God. And that's where God is trying to get us to. Because again, you can study the Bible, you can learn doctrinal truths, but if we're not taking those truths and connecting them with people who we interface with on a daily basis or weekly basis, then we're not really being all that God desires for us to be as born again believers. Can I get a witness? So Priscilla and Aquila were a team. They were a powerhouse couple. Can I get a witness? So, so uh, we got to we got to move into that arena. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is we we learned about emotion. We we learned about emotional maturity and conflict. Because the biggest reason why I think people don't engage other people is because they think that they're different and they're gonna have conflict. Most of us, if we're honest about it, we generally surround ourselves with people who are sort of like us. Come on, can we be honest? When's the last time you, you really connected with somebody who was, who was a little different? They, they, they thought, I mean, when I say different, I don't mean like, you know, they, they well, what I'm saying is they're Christians, but they may, not, they may see things a little bit different than you do or know what do things different than what you do. They may like contemporary gospel and you like old school, old school, uh, old time religion gospel. Uh, they, they, may, they may like... Uh, uh, clapping and praising the Lord, and you like sitting there silently. How many of y'all have been to a church and you said amen too loud and everybody looked at you? <laughs> Any of y'all have been there before? You said amen, they're like, Wait, we don't do that here. <laughs> amen just says that I am, I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging that what you said is truth. Okay? Can I get a witness? Uh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Thank you, my brother. But, but, but we have people who are different, guys, and so we have to learn how to appreciate the differences and learn how to, to glean and grow with each other. So let's go to Col- Colossians, the third chapter, verse number 12 with me right quick. We're talking about emotional maturity and conflict. Now, now watch this, guys. Most Christians are poor at resolving conflict. I said most Christians don't do a very good job of resolving conflict. 
And we're going to look at why that is. Text says this in Colossians chapter number three. Are you with me? Start our reading at verse number 12. Text says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, what is he saying here? Put these things on. When he says clothe yourself, clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I need to know how many of y'all have put this, this, this kind of clothing on this week. How many of you consider yourself to be merciful? Kind? Well, maybe I need to ask somebody who knows you. Because how many of y'all know a lot of times we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to? And so what I want to do to really know you, I want to I talk to somebody who's connected with you. To see what, 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 do they think, what do they think about you? They spend time with you. Text says gentleness and patience. Next verse. Come on, let's go, guys. It says what? Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. I promise you. Look at me. As sure as I'm standing here, this is going to happen. When you begin to minister and share with somebody on a regular basis and you spend quality time together, at some point in time, you're going to have a difference of opinion. At some point in time, some conflict is going to rise. And the question becomes, how do you handle it when it comes up? If you're not an emotionally mature Christian, then you tend not to handle conflict very well. He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. That's Bible, guys. You must forgive others. Verse 14 and 15. Come on, let's go real quickly. It says what? Uh, above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be what? Thankful, thankful. Guys, emotional maturity and conflict is something that we got to study and make sure that we put into place because most Christians don't tend to do this very well. Most Christians are poor at resolving conflict. There are at least two reasons for this. The first relates to wrong beliefs about peacemaking. And the second relates to a lack of training and equipping in this area. We have a wrong mindset as it relates to peacemaking. Go, go to Matthew, the fifth chapter, in verse number nine with me right quick. Matthew, chapter five, verse number nine. If I were to pick out 50 people in here, probably 45 of you, are walking in what we call false peace. False peace meaning that there was something that, that maybe disturbed you or bothers you uh, in a relationship that you're in with somebody, whoever that is, co-worker, church member, um, spouse, uh, and you wanted to say something, you wanted to express how you feel and how that made you feel, but you stopped. Because you knew that had you went on to express that, it was going to cause conflict and you're, con- you're conflict averse. You don't, you don't want to, to have any disagreement. You want, every, you want everybody just to get along. But I'm going to tell you, notice what Jesus says here, guys. And, and, and we'll look at some other passages of scripture too. He says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. KJV says, blessed are the peacemakers for they should be called the children of God. So peacemaking, that, when we look at this verse, 
a lot of people, we learn in our study that a lot of people have misinterpreted to mean that, that I gotta, I gotta have peace at all costs. In other words, I, if, if me talking about Jesus offends you, then I won't talk about Jesus. That's a wrong concept. Here's another one. If I'm called to pray at a public event, hello, and that public event may be diverse, I'm not going to not mention Jesus' name because a Jewish person there or a Muslim person is there. And how many you know some people do that or they are encouraged to have a neutral prayer? Baby, if I'm going to pray, I got to pray like my, like my God taught me how to pray. Are y'all with me? And so to avoid causing offense or conflict, we'll back off of what we know is true. But let me tell you something. If you call me to pray, I'm going to pray the way I've learned how to pray, the way my faith teaches me. And if a Jewish person is called to pray, he's going to pray like he plays. A Muslim person is going to call to pray. He's going to pray like he prays. It ain't going to offend me because I know who I am in Christ Jesus. Guys, we got, we're living in a world that's too sensitive. We live in a world where everybody gets their feelings hurt and get offended and take their ball and their Bible and go home. But I'm going to tell you guys, God in these last and evil days that we're living in is trying to get the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to grow into emotional maturity so that when something is said that hurts our feeling, we're able to, to process that and go back and ask the question and be able to, to communicate and not just pull back and say, well, I'm just going to keep peace. Because if you see and know anything about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that he came to disrupt some things. Amen. And so uh, false peace means that, you know, when, when, when out of fear, we avoid conflict and we appease people. When we do that, we are false peacemakers. In other words, there is something that, that you want to address uh, and, and, and you didn't address it because. You, you thought it was going to cause some conflict. Conflict is a part of relationship uh, life, and we got to learn how to do it better. we got to learn how to do it well, okay? So second thing I want you to look, look it up on the ignoring conflict, that's called p- false peacemaking, and that's what a lot of us do out of fear. We, we, we avoid conflict to appease people. We're a false peacemaker. And, and, our, and our study gave us some examples of different things where, where a person wanted to say something, uh, that hurt their feelings, but they didn't say anything because they thought it was going to cause uh, disruption in, in, in the unit there. And so, but they, they suffered in silence and they did not, they, they were not able to really be themselves because they couldn't express what was going on on the inside. Listen, we, we need to learn how to be uh, 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 peacemakers in the sense of what God uh, told us to do. Learning how to be purveyors of truth and standing on truth and learn how to speak that truth in a fair, loving manner. The Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. True peacemakers love God. They love others. They love themselves enough to disrupt false peace. And Jesus modeled that for us. Go with me, if you will, uh, to Matthew, the 10th chapter, verse number 34 through 36. We'll look at embracing conflict. Look, look Look at what the scripture text says about this situation. All right, y'all still y'all still tracking with me? All right, now watch this. Don't imagine, this is Jesus talking, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace but a sword. That's what Jesus said. Watch this. Next verse. 
I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. Now that's what Jesus said. What was he getting at? Was he saying he came for us to hate people? No. What he's saying is that whenever truth is stood upon, whenever truth is, is made manifest in any situation, always error of the enemy, Satan, Beelzebub, the devil, whatever you want to call him, he always comes to try to disrupt the truth that's being purveyed. The devil does not want truth to stand tall. So he attacks it at every angle. And that's what Jesus is talking about. When you learn how to stand with him, you, you're going to have some people, even some people in your own household that'll come up against you. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all ever had family members go AWOL on you? Uh, look at me, guys. How many of you have had some disruption or some dysfunctionality in your family? Remember we preached about that for about two months. Every family has some level of dysfunctionality. Can I get a witness? And so we, what, what God wants to do with us as believers is to teach us how to deal with people at a deeper level and to, to mature emotionally to the point to where we don't allow um, conflict to, to, to reign. I want to share something with you. Go to John the ninth chapter because sometimes we don't speak and stand on truth because of what we think the consequences are going to be. And that, that's called uh, false peace. In other words, we won't, we won't say what needs to be said because we think it's going to call, hurt somebody's feelings. Now listen, we, don't, we shouldn't go around trying to hurt people's feelings. But we, should, we shouldn't not tell the truth because we think it's going to hurt somebody's feelings. Speak the truth in love because you won't help somebody by placating their feelings. Are y'all still with me today? Watch what the text says here in John chapter number nine, verse number one. John nine, verse number one. And we're going to move through here. The Bible says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. The text says, Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Keep reading. It says what? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened to, so the power of God could be seen in him. Watch this next verse. It says what? We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. Keep reading. The text says this. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. I'm master talking. Then he spit on the ground, guys, made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Jesus spit on the ground. KJV says, make clay of the spittle and he anointed the blind man's eyes. Some of y'all say, ooh, that's nasty. But now, understand this. Jesus got some anointed spit. <laughs> and if, 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 if we see the results of what he did, he says, he spit on the ground and spread the mud over the blind man's eye. Look what the text says. Watch this. Come on, let's read. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Salaam. Salaam means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Text says this, watch this. His neighbors and others who knew him as the blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Watch this. Uh, some said he was and others said, well, no, he just looks like him. Now, this guy was blind from birth, guys. Right. He was, the Bible says he was blind from birth. 
And so they knew this guy. He was, he was, he was commonly known and sit, sit around begging in the city. He says, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the same one. Now here we see Jesus works a miracle. And even in their stubbornness, a lot of them don't want to acknowledge the miracle that Jesus did here. Look what the text said. Let's keep reading. Next verse. So they asked, who healed you? What happened? Oh, here comes the problem, guys. Watch this. He told them the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Salaam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. Watch this. Where is he now? They asked. I don't know. He replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Here we go. The religious folks. Everybody say the church folks. Because, watch this, because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Watch this. Look at the next verse. That's what? The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told him, he put the mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see. Look at the next verse says, Some of the Pharisees says, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. They miss the whole miracle and move of God because of their religiosity. They miss the miracle of this boy being born blind, but now he's able to see. And all they could think about was, well, he did it on the Sabbath and you ain't supposed to work. That's work. Watch these guys. Others said, but, 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 but how could an ordinary sinner, they call Jesus an ordinary sinner, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Watch this. Come on, move. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. Oh, Lord Jesus. Here we go. Look at the next verse. Watch this, watch this, watch this. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. Now here, here are the parents. Now here's what, here's what I'm trying to get to because these parents here, in their efforts to avoid conflict, in their efforts to still be, quote, in the religious hierarchy in the, in the synagogue, they refuse to speak the truth. They know their boy was born blind. Watch what the text says. They ask them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? The man don't told him what happened, guys. All right. How many of y'all have God have done something in your life and you keep telling folks they don't believe that the Lord did what you say he did? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. But watch this. But we don't know how he can. But we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Now, do you actually think that this dude didn't go and tell his parents about what happened to him? Do you really believe that after having been born blind and now you can see, wouldn't you go and tell your parents, look at what the Lord has done for me? Watch this, guys. But we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. But watch what the text says. Watch this. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. They were worried about their position in church. They knew who healed their son. They knew that he was born blind, but they refused to answer. They didn't want conflict. So they brushed it aside. Everybody say false peace. They said that because, look at it. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. 
Guys, that's false peace. True peacemakers love God, love others themselves enough to disrupt false peace. They should have, they should have, yeah, Jesus did it. And I'm glad that he did. It was on the Sabbath, but my son is, 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 is was born blind, now he can see. And I thank God for it. I'm going to worship the, Jesus myself. But no, they were concerned about position in the church or in the synagogue. Can I get a witness? Now, guys, watch this. Jesus embraced conflict, and when we stand on truth, um, um, we, we're going to have some times when conflict arises, but we've got to learn how to handle it. Unresolved, listen, embracing conflict, the path to true peace. Unresolved conflicts are one of the greatest tensions in Christians' lives today. Unresolved conflict is one of the greatest tension in Christians' lives today. Instead of risking any more broken relationships, we prefer to ignore difficult issues and settle for a false peace, hoping that they will somehow go away. But guys, they don't. They don't. Now, guys, let's, let, 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 me, let me talk to you just for a second. Becoming true peacemakers. Here's what we learned. Many Christians underestimate the depth of our bad habits and what is needed to sustain long-term Christ-like change in our relationships. And so, so how, can we, how can we become true peacemakers? And what are some tools to help us to follow Christ in becoming true peacemakers? Well, number one is speaking and learning how to speak and to listen. Communication is essential to all relationships, yet few people do it well. I said communication is essential to all relationships. Everybody say all. Yet few people do it well. Speaking and listening. I'm going to I'm going to uh, go to a, a couple of scriptures here real quickly, and I want you to listen to them carefully. If you got your Bible, you know, uh, go turn turn in your Bible with us because sometimes technology fails us. So you got to make sure that you bring your word to church. Can I get a witness? Isn't that, a, isn't that a, a, a thing that we should do? I'll tell you all the time, bring your Bible so you can check me out and make sure I'm on point. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and we're going to look at verse number 29 through 31. Uh, and, and I'll read it from the New Living Translation. It says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Now, we're talking about uh, becoming true peacemakers. And, and one of the tools we've got to learn is how to speak and how to listen. And so here we get some scripture reference on how God, how God wants us to speak and how he doesn't want us to speak. Because how many of y'all admit that sometimes your mouth gets you in trouble? Can I say something? How many of y'all ever got in trouble by saying something that you shouldn't have said? Hello? We got to realize, guys, that, that, that depth in life is in the power of the tongue and they that love it eat the fruit thereof. Watch this. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Ephesians 4 and 29, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. What is he telling us? He's telling us how to speak and how not to speak. Every, let no unwholesome word, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Now, I got, I got to ask you a question. We're, we're only what, um, how many days into the new year? Uh, 31 days in January. And we, this is the seventh day of, of February. So we're 38 days into the new year. 
How many of y'all have said some unwholesome words in those 38 days? Mm-hmm. Let me come over here. How many of y'all have said some unwholesome words in that 38 days? The Bible says, let no unwholesome words proceed from your mouth. Now, if, if God said that, don't y'all think we have the capacity to not let unwholesome words come from our mouth? If we just think about it, for, if we think and pray before we say Look at the neighbor and say, neighbor. Look at him and say, neighbor. Think and pray before you say. Come on. Think and pray before you say. Come on now. Think and pray before you say. Come on. Think and pray before you say. Come on now. Think and pray before you say. One more time. Think and pray before you say. All right, y'all take, take that. Don't say I didn't give you anything. Take that home with you. <laughs> now guys, guys, watch this, watch this. When we look at this, uh, let's go to Colossians, the third chapter, because the Bible is telling us how God does and doesn't want us to speak. You go to Colossians, the third chapter, and we're going to look at verse number eight. Colossians three, verse number eight. Glory to God. Y'all still with me? Come on. Got a little time left. It says, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. (laughs) Can we read that again, guys? Now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, and slander, and dirty language. Next verse says what? Don't lie to each other for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. How many of y'all have lied when someone says, is everything okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Everything okay. Uh, Charles, everything okay? Oh yeah, everything's good. But, but it's not good. And, and, and maybe you said it was good because you wanted what? Keep peace. I don't want to start nothing. But here's what happens when you pack stuff down and, it, and, and, and you don't address it in a loving, God-honoring way. It begins to develop a root of bitterness. And next thing you know, maybe two years later, it comes out like a, like a bulldog biting everything in its path. So learn how to deal with it and don't be a false peacemaker. Okay? He says, don't lie to each other for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Next verse is what? Watch this. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn, as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Colossians 4, verse 6. Watch this, watch this. So we talk about speaking and learning. And, 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 and guys, this is something that we got to make sure that we, we do on a regular basis. Uh, uh, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Let's read it out loud on purpose. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So, 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 so learning how to do that. There's another scripture I want you to go to right quick. Uh, Proverbs. Let's go to Proverbs. Uh, glory to God. Um, Proverbs 15 and 28. And I, I'm, I'm going to stop on speaking and listening because and I, I'm going to pick up next week. Because emotional maturity is something that we got to get to. Look at what it says here. 
The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. I gave y'all a little nursery round. Think and pray before you say. All right. Watch this. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. Now, are you? Is this describing you? If it's not, we got to line up with this. The heart of the godly thinks before carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. See, wicked folks just say whatever <laughs> comes to their mind. Are y'all with me? The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. Let's go to Proverbs uh, uh, 12 and 18. Proverbs 12 and 18. We're talking about speaking and listening. See, I got to let these, these scriptures govern how I talk and how I communicate. Some people make cutting remarks. But the words of the wise do what? Bring healing. How many of y'all want to be wise? How many of y'all want to bring healing to somebody's situation in their life with the words that you speak? That's what we got to work on, guys. Proverbs 16, verse 27 through 28. Watch this one, guys. God is telling us how we should speak. And part of being emotionally mature is learning how to speak, learning when to say and when not to say, and learning how to say things the right way. Watch this. Scoundrels and the scoundrels in the house create trouble. Their words are destructive blaze. Look at the next verse. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife and gossip separates the best of friends. Okay, here we go. How many of y'all have been engaged in church gossip? How many of y'all have been engaged in school gossip? How many of y'all have been engaged in family gossip? Talking about family members. Talking about them rather than talking to them about the issue that you're complaining about them about. Some of y'all got real quiet on this. How many many of y'all have been gossiping? How many of y'all been gossiping through social media? Proverbs 20 and 25. Watch this. Proverbs 20 and 25. Glory to God. Text says, don't trap yourself by making a rash promise to God. And only later counting the cost. Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to run. I'm going to do this. And then, then you start counting the cost. You're like, well, I don't know if I really want to do that. See, if you're going to make a vow to the Lord, it's better to not make a vow than to make a vow and break it. Watch this. Proverbs 21 and 23. Watch this, guys. It says what? Proverbs 21 and 23. Let's get that right quick if we can. Glory to God. It says, watch your tongue. And keep your mouth shut and you'll stay out of trouble. Oh, that's revelation right there. Watch this. Watch this. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. Anybody know, anybody found it to be true? See, God is talking to us about how we should we talk. So, so how do we speak and how do we listen? I, and let me, let me just say this to you right quick. I, I got to go because my time is up. Man, I hate that. But listen to this. Learn how to listen reflectively. Here's what reflective listening is. When you communicate with anybody, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your, a coworker, a church member, a parent, child, listen carefully. And then after that person is finished speaking, summarize what you thought you heard them say. Because how many of you know sometimes people say one thing, we hear something else. So somebody's telling telling whatever. So okay. So what I what I what I thought I heard you say was that 
uh, if 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 I don't stop coming in at two o'clock in the morning, I can pack my stuff stuff and leave. <laughs> All right, that's what I thought I heard you say. Is that what you say? You 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 right? That's what I said. All right, but whatever it is, in a conversation, reflective listening means that I'm able to tell you what you said. And if I don't, if I can't tell you what you said, then that means I wasn't listening very well. Someone once said. The Lord gave you two ears and one mouth so you can listen twice as much as you speak. And I don't know if that's why the Lord did it, but I, I, I can go with it. L- reflective listening says, I'm, I heard what you said, so I'm going to repeat so I make sure we're on the same page. So speaking and listening, guys, is, is cru- crucially important because communication is, is critical to all relationships. And few of us do it very well. And guys, I got to stop here. But on next week, I, I promise you, I'll wrap this up. And I, I want, we're going we're gonna to finish up talking about being respectful, stop mind reading, clarify expectations, and know what emotional allergies are. That's, those are the things that we learned in our EHS study. And we're going to unpack some of those on next week. How many of you realize that when you look at yourself, you recognize that all of us has some, have some growing to do in our emotional maturity? I'm telling you, uh, when you become emotionally mature, you're able to deal with people and you and, and you don't let people wig you out. And you understand and you know that God saved you, delivered you so he can use you to reach people. And if you don't want to touch or reach people, then you can't please God. It's ain't about just you getting saved and going to heaven. God didn't, God didn't, didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't just take you on the glory when he first saved you so you wouldn't mess anybody else up so he could use you to reach others. And everything that we do is about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and discipling and training those who are saved. So this is part of our training regimen, learning how to become emotionally mature so that we don't walk around with false peace. Not, can't talk about things, can't be open about it and learn how to pray through it. And walk with people on their journey of faith. Jesus Christ gave his life for us out on Calvary. So that you and I could have a right to the tree of life. The question becomes today. How well am I walking this Christian journey? How well am I doing in my walk with the Lord? Jesus loves every last one of you. I promise you he does. He loves all of us. And he wants to use us to advance his kingdom agenda.